the latest episode of our podcast series for financial advisors. Today's episode is Advisor Choice, how models like Wells Fargo's first clearing offer optionality and flexibility. It's a conversation with John Peluso, president of First Clearing. I'm Mindy Diamond, and this is Mindy Diamond on Independence. This podcast is available on our website, diamond-consultants.com, as well as Apple Podcasts and other major podcast platforms. If you are not already a subscriber and want to be notified of new show releases, please subscribe right on your favorite podcast platform or on the episode page on our website. And if you find the content in this series to be useful and know others who could benefit from it, feel free to share it widely. Multi-channel models have become one of the hottest options amongst advisors considering change in recent years, fueling growth in the channel with some of the biggest names in the business jumping on board. This choose-your-path concept has been around for a while, designed largely to accommodate a firm's existing advisor force, offering a path to those interested in independence while retaining them as part of their firm's ecosystem. And it's an appealing concept for sure. It offers both traditional W-2 employee and independent platforms under one roof, essentially designed to support an advisor for the lifetime of his career, as his interests in different models may change over time. One such example, and one of the pioneers of the multi-channel model, is offered by Wells Fargo Advisors and its affiliated clearing and custody service provider, First Clearing. I asked John Peluso, president of First Clearing, to join us today to talk about the model and how Wells Fargo and First Clearing differentiate amongst the competition, as well as the continually growing options outside the multi-channel model. And John's one who should know. He is a wealth management industry veteran with three decades under his belt. Previously, he was the president of Wells Fargo Advisors Financial Network, or FINET, and was responsible for setting the strategic direction for the firm's independent representative channel. John also served as a managing director in the Wells Fargo Advisors Private Client Group, where he led the business development efforts for retail brokerage recruiting and was the national director of Profit Formula. There's lots to discuss, so let's get to it. John, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for the invitation, Mindy. I'm happy to be here. All right, lots to unpack, so I'm going to jump right in. You've had a long career in wealth management and with Wells Fargo, I believe, since 1998. Tell me a little bit about your background, if you would, and how you wound up at Wells. Yeah, well, I started my career at Wheat First Securities in Richmond, Virginia, and I've stayed there ever since. So while we've had a lot of different bank holding companies, and I've had many different business cards, First Union, Wachovia, and uh, Wells Fargo. Uh, throughout my career, I've really enjoyed a unique opportunity to work alongside a very talented and passionate group of senior leaders and advisors. And I'm really proud of the accomplishments that we've had over the years. In an industry where there is no status quo, uh, we've been a fierce competitor, whether mm -hmm. dialed in on executing a merger 
innovating new channels, helping advisors create client loyalty and growing their practices, or focusing on being a great operator. At all times, we've always strived to help clients meet all of their financial needs. And I've been fortunate to be in leadership positions over the years to be able to make a difference for financial advisors and independent business owners. And that's really what motivates me. and, And it's a rewarding feeling. Yeah. And today you're the president of First Clearing, which is the clearing and custody business that serves non-affiliated broker dealers and RIAs. So just for clarification, what is the First Clearing value proposition? And I guess, where does it sit in the ecosystem for advisors considering independence? That's a big question, but straightforward. We build relationships with quality firms, their leaders and advisors, empowering each to compete and succeed. That's our value promise, very straightforward. And we deliver on this promise in a number of ways, but I'll put it into three buckets. The first one is that we are an informed and accessible senior leadership team that's accountable to our client firms. Second, we offer a comprehensive wealth management suite, which includes an industry-leading technology platform that forms the foundation for our clients' technology stacks and the service of the entire Wells Fargo enterprise to help our clients serve their clients. And then third, we simplify transition with a seamless onboarding for our new broker-dealer clients. And for our new RIA clients, we help reduce the fear that they may have about establishing their own businesses by putting them on a path to help them realize enterprise value. With respect to where we fit in the ecosystem, I think that's a great question, Mindy. And I think it's the right word, ecosystem, because First Clearing is a platform that serves many different ecosystems. So when I think about all those different business models, particularly in the case of independence, those broadly consist of non-affiliated broker-dealers, and they can either be W-2 model or a 1099 model but they're independently owned and operated. That's the real key. And they have their own personality and culture. And of course, there are RIAs and they are in and of themselves separate businesses. So when I think of ecosystems, I think of a variety of business models. And what's unique about our platform is that it can support virtually all of them. So before taking on the presidency of First Clearing, you were the head of Finet. What is the real difference between the two models, between first clearing and independent broker-dealer finance? Yeah, well, let me start with our multi-channel strategy at Wells Fargo has been built around recognizing that clients and advisors have choice as to how and where they want to do business. And as, as I mentioned earlier, first clearing is a platform of services, technology, investment research, and wealth management products that has been built over many years. So we think of First Clearing as a platform that empowers firms, whether it's broker-dealer or independent RIAs, with the tools and resources to grow a successful business. Now, Finet is an affiliated broker-dealer that serves independent advisors, the 1099 flavor that we talked about. And Finet is an example of a firm that lives and operates on our platform. So maybe to reposition your question, it isn't so much how are First Clearing and Finet different, but rather how do they coexist in going back to that term you used earlier, the Wells ecosystem? And the answer to that question is that Finet is a recipient of the capabilities 
of the first clearing platform. And as such, Finet has been able to grow a very successful business made up of many independent business owners. So generally speaking, how should an advisor who's considering independence think about the IBD space, the independent broker-dealer space, or the RIA construct? Yeah, I love this question, Mindy. And it's what I always tell advisors when I'm talking to them when they're exploring their opportunities is for them to be honest with themselves about whether they're running from something or to the next version of themselves for their career. So some specific questions that I ask them to think about is what's their vision? Is your team ready? How aligned are you with your partners? How does that fit into your long-term plans? And then finally, do you have enough knowledge to do this? And if not, where are you going to turn for a trusted advice? Keep in mind that this is about building a business, not necessarily increasing their payout. John, I want to pivot for a minute or take a step back. So the elephant in the room is you know, recognizing some of the challenges that Wells Fargo has faced in the recent past as a result of the sales practice issues within the bank. How has that played out relative to your ability to win business and retain talent? Yeah, Mindy, I mean, I guess it would be disingenuous of me to say that it hasn't been an impact. So yes, it's been tough at times because of the reputational issues uh, that we've experienced over the last couple of years. And of course, it's had an impact in various ways on our business, including some attrition that is widely reported in uh, several different outlets. But, you know, overall, we're still competing. And I believe that at the end of the day, people do business with people. And based upon that, we are still winning in the marketplace on a regular basis. So what is the overall, what is the Wells Fargo value proposition? In other words, I think what I hear you're saying is that a reading between the lines that the Wells Fargo brand and value proposition stands for a lot more than whatever issues happened within the bank. So what is that value proposition and how do you think Wells differentiates itself from the other major players like Merrill and Morgan and all the other big banks? Well, I mean, I think the most important thing here is that um, uh, we are multi-channel and we have been for many years. And that from a wealth management perspective is a real differentiator for us. So to the extent that we're able to serve virtually every business model that an advisor can operate in and serving their clients' needs is the differentiator for uh, our wealth management business. Right. And how does the RIA business itself and the first clearing platform differentiate itself and compete as a custodian against the scaled incumbents like Schwab and Fidelity and Pershing? Yeah, it's a, it's a again, on our multi-channel strategy, it's a logical extension for us to move into the RIA service and custody space. And one of the differentiators against those incumbents is that is our heritage, right? Where we have historically been an organization that was built upon serving financial advisors. And so we start from that premise where Schwab Fidelity and Pershing operate from a different background. So we understand what it is to be an advisor today. And more importantly, we understand that many of the best advisors are looking to venture off on their own and to have more choice and flexibility. 
so they can respond more rapidly to issues and situations that their clients need to deal with on a real-time basis. So being nimble is very important and having the ability to use other tools that often aren't easily accessed in a large organization becomes really important. And how about from a technology perspective? How does the first clearing tech stack compare to an open architecture stack uh, that an, an RA could have with Schwab, Fidelity, Pershing, et cetera? Well, we take a similar approach um, in our RIA service and custody business. So we are uh, open architected. We allow the RIAs to build their own tech stacks and connect to us. So um, we're really not competing on a technology uh, head-to-head because we're really all on the same playing field. And Sean, let me go back to something you said. You talk about Wells' multi-channel affiliation model. And you'd be right that I think thinking about how much advisor sentiment has changed in the last number of years, one of the biggest things driving advisors away from the employee model or the traditional firms in general is a desire for more freedom and control, flexibility, ownership, and control. Do you think that given that that the other wirehouses, meaning Merrill, Morgan, UBS, and other major firms, will eventually get into the same game, begin to offer multiple models under one roof? You know, that's a really good question again, Mindy, and it's one that uh, I've been asked, it seems like, for decades now. And I've never really been one to try to predict our models, uh, our competitors' business models and their strategies, but I've never understood why others haven't expanded more into the multi-channel business. But what I will say is that, you know, we've been operating with multiple business models and and different channels um, for a long time. And certainly when we introduced Profit Formula uh, and then Finet, uh, those were examples of two different business models. Our view is that as advisors mature and as they gain more experience in the business, we want to always be in a position to have a solution on our platform that measures up to how they want to achieve their vision for growth and serving their clients. So again, adding the RIA service and custody business model is a natural extension of our multi-channel strategy. And what about the concern that, A, I know other wirehouse leaders have and some advisors cite is the worry about cannibalization, meaning does the fact that you would allow, Wells Fargo would allow an advisor that's part of the private, an employee of the private client group slide into the RIA space or into Finet, does that cannibalize the Wells Fargo private advisors? Yeah, I think that's a that's a legitimate fear. It's a legitimate concern to have for a multi-channel model. We've addressed it by being methodical in our approach. You know, our first target audience for our RIA business is those advisors who are maturing within the current Wells environment. So we're tackling it head on. So whether that's a private client group advisor or an independent business owner at Finet who is naturally moving to that next level of independence. So, you know, we are working with those advisors first and foremost, and those that fit that business model, we want to retain them so they can continue to grow on our platform. So that raises an interesting question. What you're saying is the first target for these independent models, the RIA channel, as well as the Finet model, is the advisors that are currently employees within the broker-dealer space? 
That is correct. We have transitioned uh, 16 uh, such practices over the last 18 months or so. 16 into the RIA space? Yes. Okay. And so are there any barriers to entrance? In other words, let's say an advisor has been with Wells Fargo, private client group, as an employee for 10 years. He's got X amount of unvested deferred comp and may have some notes, some forgivable notes or whatnot. What are the barriers of entry or are there any sort of limitations to him just jumping from one to the other? Well, yeah, there are many controls in place. First and foremost, they need to have $100 million in advisory assets because we require federal registration with the SEC. And then second, they need to be willing, able, and capable of going independent because they do have to voluntarily resign as an employee and forego any deferred comp or any other you know, employee-like benefits. So those right there are pretty big hurdles. Now, keep in mind, we've had Finet around for 20 years. And so many of the same practices that govern a move from an employee and private client to being independent in Finet, we're able to use those same controls. So this is not something that we have really pioneered since we offered the RI service and custody space. It's really something that we're piggybacking on 20 years of learnings. Yeah. So let me ask you a question. I have to imagine that an advisor that is with an employee as part of the private client group who is beginning to consider independence is going to look at Finet and is going to look at the RIA space under the Wells umbrella because that's a natural extension and it's certainly the path of least resistance. It means not having to put your clients up for bid. But I also imagine that they are, in most cases, comparing it to the other custodians, meaning going RIA and what will Schwab or Fidelity or Pershing offer and offer and looking at other independent broker dealers as well. What do you think they find compelling? What are those folks that are looking to slide from the private client group as employees into independence with Wells? What do you think they find? What's most compelling to them? I think the consistency of their client experience is probably one of the top issues and concerns that any advisor has when they're contemplating making a transition. So the client experience going from employee to independent business owner, whether it's in Finet or whether it's as an RIA, it's a smoother process doing it under our umbrella than making a break to another IBD or to another custodian. Mm -hmm. Do they eventually outgrow it? In other words, it makes sense that in the short run, that's a smart move, right? It's the path of least resistance. It's a move that requires much less friction. But is there a possibility or is there any reason that you can envision an advisor might outgrow let's say the finite model or the first clearing model over time and choose once they're already independent to choose to go another level more independent? Well, I think for Finet, the next logical step would be to launch an RIA. So we'll be there to catch that if and when that's the desire of the independent operator. On the RIA side, I don't think they'll ever outgrow it because we're open architected and we allow for multi-custodians. So that really doesn't mean you outgrow it, right? You may choose as you develop new business through M&A or succession planning, that business may be on another platform and that's okay with us. So I don't think anyone would ever outgrow our platform. They may just turn into a larger organization that uses multi-custodians. You know, we think that 
because of our lending capabilities um, and the direct nature of the relationship we have with Wells Fargo, that those families that have lending needs, that we're likely to be the custodian of choice for those high net worth uh, families. Right. And so you mentioned, John, that you've had 16 wins in 2020 or to date in the RIA channel. Were they all from the Wells Private Client Group or have any of them come from the outside? Oh, no, they've all been internal. And whether it's been at a private client or Finet or WBS, they've all been internal. And we began efforts late last year in working in two external markets where we're upskilling the Wells Fargo market leaders in Southern California and in the Washington, D.C. area. So we are open for business 24-7, as I like to say across the country. But we've been, again, we've been methodical to begin internally. And now we are beginning here in 2021 to have external conversations. And you can imagine there's a lot of that happening uh, just naturally by us being in the marketplace. But as we begin to upskill our market leaders across the United States, the external business will start to flow. So what do you think the most appropriate targets for that will be when you begin to go external? Will it be advisors coming from other wirehouses, from other independent broker dealers, from other custodians? All the above. I mean, so, I mean, our conversations are happening now uh, with all of the above. So whether it's breakaways, uh, whether it's tuck-ins coming into some of the existing RIAs that are already on our platform, those two scenarios are you've got someone who wants to start an RIA or you have people that want to join an RIA. We'll be an attractive destination for both of those. And then, of course, you just have the whole rest of the industry that could be struggling with their existing custodian. They may want to add an, another custodian. And so, you know, we're having many conversations with people around adding first clearing as an additional custodian because of our full service wealth management suite that they have access to. So let's talk about that for a second. What is it that first clearing as a custodian would offer an advisor, say, who wanted to be multi-custodial, that let's say is custodying now with Schwab, that he or she couldn't get with Schwab? What would be the biggest reason for adding first clearing as a custodian? There's a lot of reasons. Um, service is generally where things start. So they may not be getting the service that they want. So we typically are having conversations around service. We're having conversations around access to lending, complex lending solutions. We're having conversations around access to life event consulting that is just part of our overall service, as opposed to, in many cases, depending upon the custodian you're with, you're being charged hourly for that professional consulting advice and access to that resource. So you know, those are some of the highlights that uh, we've been focused on here in our conversations. ask you a question. I read recently about your growth accelerator program. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I can. That would be another component of our comprehensive wealth management suite. So it's an instructor-led virtual training program that provides advisors with industry-proven business development, practice management, and client loyalty strategies to help foster organic growth. And how is it rolled out? Who is it used by? Or how is it used? It's available across the wealth management suite. So you know, here's one of the advantages. We've developed these types of programs 
for our affiliated businesses and all of our non-affiliated independent advisors can also access them. You know, we customize them to be directed toward the independent business owner, but it's the program and the framework is all the same content. So they're able to piggyback on really the most current practices and thought around growing your business and creating world clients. We can deliver that to the independent space, uh, which is a real advantage for us. Mm-hmm. And I want to pivot for a second to the wealth management space in general. How do you see the space changing over the next decade? And I ask that as background because in the past decade, the industry landscape has expanded and morphed exponentially. Independence was barely a legitimate thing for a high-end team. And now it's so much where the puck is heading. And the ecosystem supporting the breakaway space, the independent space, has expanded exponentially. So what do you see on trend for the coming decade? Yeah, I certainly remember what independence was like in 2001, because that's when we launched Finet, and I was leading that effort. So I agree with your statement about that. But with regards to trends, I see three things on the horizon, and I think they help explain the growth we're seeing in the independent space, and in particular, the growth in the RIA model. So first, client demand is changing. So clients are continuing to want advice, and I would say more than ever. And they want it in human and electronic forms whenever they need it in a variety of formats for issues that touch on many aspects of their lives, not just investments. And they want that advice from a perspective that puts their interests first. Second is technology. FinTech is adding efficiencies and removing frictions in countless ways that will benefit advisors and their clients and permit greater levels of service. In addition to all the terrific things that these new tools and applications can do is the fact that they're broadly available to advisors. You know, historically, Mindy, advanced technology was the exclusive province of large firms, and that's not the case anymore. Technology is being democratized and becoming available to all advisors at firms of any size and at prices that are increasingly affordable. So those first two things are obviously making independence more attractive. And there's a third one, though, because consumer demand for advice is changing. This is a big one. Technology used to deliver that advice is also changing. And the advisor's role in that mix is undergoing a shift, too. So if anything, the advisor's new role is one that represents the ultimate endpoint in the shift away from advisor as product deliverer. The shift has been going on for decades, as we've talked about, from advice being ancillary to a transaction. Transactions, which have become free or virtually free, are now ancillary to advice. And so clients expect and want that advice to go beyond investments to cover everything about their financial lives. Absolutely, yes. And I don't think there's anyone that would disagree with that. But still, if you're talking to an advisor that is an employee of UBS, Morgan Stanley, Merrill Lynch, even Wells Fargo, and considering independence, one of the things that they give up is the familiar brand name, the brand cachet of a Morgan Stanley, a Merrill Lynch, et cetera. So how do they make peace with that? How would you advise an advisor to really think about giving up brand and what that means? So when I talk to advisors about this, the fact that we allow advisors access to the Wells Fargo wealth management suite of services 
while it's not branded as such, they still are able to provide that level of service to their clients. So I think that's a real advantage in the familiarity with a Wells for a Morgan Stanley or a Merrill or a UBS advisor. There's going to be a familiarity with the platform, if you will. And as we talked about, we don't restrict that platform. We're, we're open architected. So they, in essence, could get the best of both worlds. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. In other words, what you're saying is an advisor, one of the benefits of using Wells Fargo or First Clearing as a custodian is being able to really leverage the brand cachet of a Wells Fargo and not be limited by being an employee of such. Yes, I agree. Got it. So let me ask you a question. Of the 16 successful RIA firms you now have under your umbrella, and of all the independent practices that you had a lens into as president of Finet for years, what do you think the most successful independent firms have in common? What do they do right? Two buckets, skills and value. The challenge for advisors is that they need to improve their aptitude in areas like empathy and listening and authenticity. So as relationships deepen between advisors and clients, it opens the door for the advisor to become the go-to person as it relates to a broader set of decisions that clients wrestle with. And I often refer to this as going beyond the balance sheet and particularly the asset side of the balance sheet. What's important is that as an RIA, um, you gain more autonomy, right? You get the ability to operate in a more nimble local culture that you as the advisor control. And I think that's really important point to point out. Now, when I talk about going beyond the balance sheet, I mean things like helping clients ask better questions of themselves, introducing the well-being concepts, addressing longevity issues, and helping clients plan for the third half of their life. Advisors should consider adding a suite of services and things that are different than the traditional straight-up asset management. This would encompass things like caregiving and advice, how and where clients want to live as they age, helping to prepare clients both mentally and emotionally for the next chapter. And these are all things that I see advisors that are moving toward the RIA space. These are things that they're thinking about. They want more autonomy and local control to be able to build these types of client services. Finally, I'll just mention another challenge is this whole idea and the tension between price and value, right? So it's skills and value. We've been programmed to look for things on sale. And so much of what we consume today is often marketed from a price point perspective. So that as a backdrop, competing on value is harder than one might think. It's not about telling people what you do to create value or that you are valuable, because that's no different than a billboard on the highway. The most successful advisors demonstrate their value by their actions. So for example, through the ability to be empathetic, their ability to listen, and their ability to help clients ask themselves better questions about what matters. For advisors who do these things, their value will become quite evident. And those are the ones that I see moving toward the RIA service and custody model. Yeah. And how about your thoughts on succession planning, John? These best practices, the best independent firms, whether it be under the broker-dealer model of Finet or First Clearing, what do you think about succession planning? How did the best independent firms think about it? You know, succession planning, depending upon what seat you're in, it's different for an independent person versus an employee advisor. But for an independent person, business owner, 
it boils down to what they're looking to do because there are even many choices and options within the independent space. So they can sell the business to an unaffiliated third party. They could have younger advisors buy out the older advisor. They could create an ESOP of sorts. They could tuck into another practice, or they could simply just sunset the business over time and pass it on to the next generation in the family. So those are all choices that I see independent advisors evaluating. On the employee side, I think you know advisors should recognize that they have the opportunity to fund new milestones in their lives by preserving and perpetuating the value of their practice. So the bottom line is it's important to have a plan, right? That's the, anything to do with succession. Have a plan, be thoughtful about it, and the sooner you get started working on the plan, more options will emerge. So, John, what would you say to the wirehouse advisor? The big firms, Wells included, are working hard to tie advisors up via their retire-in-place programs. And those are ways to incent an advisor to say, leave your legacy here and don't have to make a move in order to monetize the business. And yet, I imagine someone like you would look at the business and say there's real benefit to being independent. What would you say to those folks? Well, I mean, it's an interesting question, right? Because succession means different things for each advisor. And you and I have worked with advisors throughout our careers, and we know there is no one single path. But on the independent side, the first thing is, oh, if you're an employee, in order to realize true enterprise value for your practice, you got to be willing to go independent. And not everyone's willing to go independent, right? There's been a huge move to independence, and I think we'll continue to see it. But it's not right for everyone. So for those advisors that have no desire to want to run and operate their own business, those programs and the one at Wells Fargo is a great option for those advisors. John, let me ask you one final question. Um, What are you most excited about at First Clearing and for the firm's future? Well, we're trying to do some different things. And so I'll give you a couple of examples of some work that we've produced and and we have a fair amount of content around. And I would kind of put this in the thought leadership category. We all know that we're living longer and that longevity is reshaping the concept of retirement. So when I think about longevity, there's two things that come to mind. First, how do we continue to feel relevant and live meaningful lives that can extend in some cases as long as our careers? Uh, This is a big area and a huge opportunity. We recently had some uh, guests on our next Frontier podcast, Chip Conley, who's the founder of the Modern Elder Academy. And what he explores is helping people make the transition because the reality is that we still want to feel purposeful with our lives. And this is an important area for advisors to tackle. And I think RIAs have a unique opportunity to do this because of that nimbleness and the local culture that they are able to create when they go independent. Helping clients prepare for what Joe Coughlin, the director of the MIT Age Lab, would say is their next 8,000 days. Second, as we Mm -hmm. live long, how we live and where we live becomes very important. Working with Sherry Snelling, who is a corporate gerontologist, we've created a series of webinars and articles to help advisors, help clients begin to tackle the idea of what caregiving should feel like and look like as we live longer. And then finally, a big part of our well-being is that unique balance between our mental, physical, and emotional health. Advisors have an opportunity to become more connected to that by helping clients plan 
for how to make the most of their bonus years. And they can do this by helping clients create an environment that promotes health and well-being. John, thank you so, so much. It sounds like First Clearing has a great story and you're just beginning to tell it and to get it out there. I am grateful that you shared it with me and our audience. And we look forward to hearing more about um, as you go out into the marketplace and begin to recruit others from other firms and really grow the model. Thanks again, Mindy, for the invitation. It was a, a pleasure speaking with you today and we look forward to 2021. In a landscape that seems to change daily, firms are constantly challenged to up the bar in terms of features and benefits that appeal to their advisor constituents. It's a game that Wells Fargo has been in for a long time, and we expect they will continue to look for ways to innovate and remain relevant as the landscape evolves. I thank you for listening. And I encourage you to visit our website, diamond-consultants.com, and click on the tools and resources link for valuable content. You'll also find a link to subscribe for regular updates to the series. And if you're not a recipient of our weekly email, Perspectives for Advisors, click on the blog link to browse recent articles. These written pieces are an ideal way to stay informed about what's going on in the wealth management space without expending the energy that full-on exploration requires. Feel free to email or call me if you have specific questions. I can be reached by cell at 973-476-8578 or by email at mdiamond at diamond-consultants.com. Please note that all requests are handled with complete discretion and confidentiality. And again, if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it with a colleague who might benefit from its content. And if you're listening on the Apple Podcast app, I'd be grateful if you'd give it a star rating. That lets other advisors know it's a show worth their time to listen to. This is Mindy Diamond on Independence.